This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, a slightly overcast day in West Hollywood, Roger, the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, it's me, Rog. The worst Bennett since, well, since Virginia's Tony, really. You sound amazing, Dave. I don't think you're the worst Bennett, Rog. I do, if I sound amazing, Rog, I'm also, um, I'm also a little exhausted. I'm also dripping from head to toe. Ooh. I'm not out of the bath, Rog. I'm just back from crew box. You are. I had a dream yeah. about you boxing the other day. You did, tell me. Yeah, you've been training a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. You've been, uh, you've, been work, you've been pulling that face in front of the heavy bag. Yeah. And then in the dream, you're mm-hmm. talking about your boxing. You're like showing yeah. me your punches. And then suddenly, as you're telling me this, we're, we are approached by unseen attackers. Yeah. And without missing a beat, you just grabbed me and pushed me into them and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes uh, defense is the best form of attack, Rog. What, what, do you, what do you think that dream means, David? I think they were Cossacks. And I think you've spent a lot of time fantasizing about taking on the Cossacks by yourself. And I don't think you'd like it. If I took on the Cossacks, Rog, I think that would be traumatic for you if I took on all the Cossacks and took them out. Because I think it would, you'd have lots of questions about your faith, <laughs> about who your true brothers are. Like, it would be difficult to explain to your children who know I'm a Gentile. Yeah. So I just wanted you to take on the Cossacks, Rog. So you were helping me. I was. I was helping you. You were helping me overcome that last beat of possible fear that I probably would have felt. And you were going, Rog, you can do it. I believe in you. That's what that push was. You believed in me, right? There is a problem, though. It's after you go to boxing class. And let's face it, crew box is amazing. It's boxing authentic, Rog. But it's a, it's a group boxing workout class. But after an hour with Jenny Savage, who is one of my favorite teachers there, or Marie Kay or, or, or App or, or Terry, I'm just, I'm ready to take on all the Cossacks, Roger. All of the Cossacks I'll go and take on. I just have to do it in time to music <laughs> with a little bit of burpees in between each, uh, <laughs> each combination. You can't hit me when I'm doing my burpees. Those are the I rules. <laughs> exactly. By the way, I feel the same after I do. I can't keep up with all the keep fit trends, but I do feel the same after I finish my pole dancing aerobics class, which is uh-huh. pole dancing authentic. I like the idea of you doing aerobics, but mainly because of the outfits, Roger. How are you doing, Roger? You recovered from your trip. My lightning trip back to England. Yeah. I'm not sure if life will ever be the same, Dave. It was magnificent. Yeah. When you say England, uh, we should say that it was the north of England you went to, the north where the sky is closer to the ground and the weather is is basically Arctic. Yeah. Yeah, more than than, uh, the north of England. I was in Liverpool, which is a republic to its own right. I had a bit of work, had a bit of family, and Mm -hmm. had one massive highlight not just a trip highlight i'd say a life highlight taking my seven-year-old my youngest ozzy to his to his first ever everton game it was beautiful rog we all followed it on instagram it was a beautiful beautiful thing he got to see he got to see a charlie adams sending off in the snow that's like as christmasy as it gets yeah possibly the the last ever premier league charlie adams sending off for the rest of his life he'll be able to say i was there I was there, and they'll be like, oh, which one of the 132 <laughs> Premier League Charlie Adams sending-offs were you at in the snow? Oh, it was all magnificent, Dave. I, I want to be candid. I'm still, I was, and I'm still quite overcome with emotion. I mean, Stoke City will do that to a man. <laughs> but 
the meaning of this whole other scene, you can see I did post a photograph of on Instagram of my dad, my son, and myself celebrating the Jenk Tosin winner. April 1st, 1978, Dave. Mm-hmm. Almost 40 years to the day ago. Yeah. I went to my first Everton game ever with my dad. Wow. So 40 years later, I as a father had the life memory of taking my dad, Judge Iver, mm-hmm. with my son to a game, even better, a game managed by the great Sam Allardyce, no less. It was a yeah. lot. It was a lot. It's what you call, David, the conveyor belt of life. What date in 1978 again? April 1st, 1978. Was Charlie Adam playing? Charlie George was playing <laughs> for Derby County, Everton. Wow, Rams. I actually wrote an essay for our book all about this. This my first game in the Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica about how when our seven-year-old Rog arrived at Goodison Park, they just heave with sound as we arrived. The stench of beer, cigarettes, police horse turd, that miraculous confection that hovered over every ground back then uh, in the English top flight. And just the memories of my day as I drove to Stoke, synapsed in my mind, kind of slumdog millionaire style, as we drove towards Bet365 lowercase. My first game was an achingly cold April morning. This game was full-on Green Bay Packers-style blizzard. It was, it was Snow Classico, Dave. It was real football where the Stoke felt never more north of the wall. And in, in my story in our book, when seven-year-old Rog goes to Goodison, I couldn't see the game, and I write about this, because there were just rows of full-grown, beer-belly men between me and the field obstructing my view. I was tiny. Those weren't the players. <laughs> they were the fans, mate. They were the true blues surrounding me and nothing's changed the beer-bellied men reassuringly they're still there Uh and when stoke fans started to claim that all everton fans are the product of incest which is which is technically a half truth it's fair yeah there's some truth in it but that doesn't make a good chant there's some truth in what you're saying (laughs) Uh, my, my son turned around to me when the Everton fans berated Charlie Adam at the sending off, they just berated him with so many Fs, so many blinders, so many, oh, every blue curse under the sun. My seven-year-old just turned to me and he laughed and he goes, Dad, we're in a place where there are no laws. There are no rules. <laughs> My nephews were allowed to swear, were allowed to curse. They were allowed to say any words they wanted at Chelsea games growing up. Yeah. That was the one place they were allowed to use any language they wanted. It's why you go. It's yeah, why it you go. Those words combine. They over years they build up like rock sediment, and they for every curse just piles on top of the other until they form John Terry. Can I read no. you a bit from my book? Can I read yeah, you a tiny okay. bit? I'm going to read you a quick bit from my book because this is what filled my heart. Seven-year-old Rog at Goodison couldn't see, and then my neighbour, though a stranger, instantly recognised my plight, my inability to see the game going on in the mud and rain below me. And defying the cold, this stranger just stripped off his full-length sheepskin coat in theatrical fashion. Do you remember when every adult used to wear a sheepskin coat, Dave, in England? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the only thing you were allowed to wear. (laughs) And he folded it neatly into a square with one hand, while scooping me up, seven-year-old Rog, with the other. The coat was dumped onto my seat. I was deposited atop of it, elevating my sight line considerably. Problem solved. Now clad in just a T-shirt... My saviour, the good Samaritan, spent the next 90 minutes plying me with Everton mints that were gratefully received and a flask of scotch that was declined by virtue of the fact that I was still just in first grade. And when the iconic Bob Latchford, 
my childhood hero, the man on every poster that surrounded my bed, slapped home the winner. The stadium rocked deliriously. Bob Latchford, by the way. I guess you could call him English, Yank Tosin, 40 years ago. <laughs> and my neighbour, when Bob Latchford scored, cloaked us in a cloud of whiskey mist, hugged me and bellowed, We're all one big family here at Goodison, son. <sighs> and this weekend, I felt that exact same feeling. I live that great English adage that soccer's history is a story of parents and children. When Jenk Tosin slapped home the winning goal, I looked over at my son screaming with joy and my old dad, Davo, leaping into the air, just lost in the ecstasy of the moment like a child himself. And it's that feeling, that joy, that shared collective memory, which is just everything that's good about sport. I love it. I have referred to previously, Rog, on the pod, to when every year the US Open takes place the same weekend as Father's Day. And they always, on the Sunday, they always cut to a, 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 a son in the crowd and a dad and they'll always say yeah golf it's just uh, it's all about fathers and sons it's the whole sport is about fathers and sons and my thought always is that if if fatherhood was so great golf simply wouldn't exist <laughs> because dads would be home with their kids and I do feel a little bit the same about football but I do understand what you mean taking your son to a game Rog is an absolutely <sighs> amazing thing I'm working on George on the plan with George Rog yeah, go on. I want to hear about it because I've got to tell you, for Ozzy, what will stay in his memory, even longer than the game, the swearing, the hugging, the everything, being accompanied by my dad, it's the rare experience of an Everton away win. That's probably what will stay with him. Savor that forever, son. It might not happen again. What are you going to do with George? The problem is, I can't take my dad because my dad hates football. Trev just cannot stand football mainly because he doesn't like the sound of the crowd cheering or singing or clapping. He finds that vulgar. Yeah, happiness is vulgar. But I was going to take George to Chelsea on April 21st. Unfortunately, I think they're now playing an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. I don't want his first football experience to be at Wembley. It just doesn't feel right. I want to take Stamford Bridge. Yeah, you want to go the bet 365 for the real deal. And yet he's on the way out here for spring break next week to LA. And I look at the MLS fixtures. Lo and behold... LA Galaxy home game, Rog, against LAFC, the first of what is going to be a stinging, singeing <laughs> derby. It's going to be spiky. So I, I may well be taking George to Galaxy versus FC on the 31st of March. I'm oh, thinking of Ashley Cole yeah. will be there. It'll be, it'll be just like Stamford Bridge, but with good weather. And anyway, your story, purely out of coincidence, Rog, was also seamless product placement for our book, The Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica. It's out May 15th, available everywhere on pre order. Now, Amazon, even, Rog, they've got the correct cover-up. Oh, no, really? Yeah, they do. They do. It's the actual, the real one. Bezos is a GFOP. Please, great friends of the pod, pre-order early and often on meninblazers.com to reward those who purchase the book before April 6th. Our great publishers, Knopf, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Rog, have recreated the patches of Rog and Davo that are on the cover as a limited edition. That's a good idea. They will mail them to anyone who emails them a receipt of proof of purchase at aaknopf, that's A-A-K-N-O-P-F, at randomhouse.com. Uh, this is some required legalese, Rog, that we know you've been dying to hear. U.S. residents must be 18 or older. Ends April 6, 2018. See terms at oh, At Launchpad, McHugh tweeted in about the patches. He said, way less bald in patches. And I will say, GFOPs, thank you for supporting our book. It was, oh, it was a savage right, and it is the first in publishing history to feature a tweed cover, now proudly number one in golf on Amazon. I'd love us, I hope a dream to become number one in the light romance category before we're done. 
Do we know that for sure that it's the first book ever with a tweed cover? I feel like we're going to get there are some very angry, red faced Englishmen right now who've written a, the, 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 the giant book of tweed and they're going to assault us with copies, remainder copies of that book for, for consistently saying that. I honestly think if they sue us, it'll be good for the giant book of tweed. It'll be, good. It'll be a win win for everyone. In other MIB news, we're playing two live shows Los yeah. Angeles, Davos Quasi Hometown. Yeah. We're playing at the Ace. Downtown Theatre, May 26. See meninblazers.com for ticket details. Come and be with us. Come and raise a glass with us, Southern Californians. And the Men in Blazers, fifth, fifth annual night of the Golden Blazer. Fifth? Yeah, mate. Five blazers we purchased at great cost. Wow. This one, a 42 regular, possibly the second biggest that we've ever purchased, Bob Lee. I think of 44, possibly. He's got some noble girth. I can't believe that this gent who's yeah. getting the blazer... Could be a woman, yeah. Could be a woman, or this gent, yeah. is, is larger than me. Because I'm a 40 regular. I wouldn't have thought of this person as being a 42 regular. Although maybe he likes a slightly, or she, likes a slightly 80s style of blazer. Yeah. I think you still think we're giving it to Sebastian Giovinco, David. New York City, May 15th. It's going to be a night of nights. It's one of my favourite night of the year. The Copa das Copas. There are a few, emphasis on few, standing room only tickets still available on meninblazers.com. I can't wait um, uh, that night. And how about television? Sunday, April 8th, scheduled for 2.30pm Eastern Time, the day after Manchester City win the title, probably. We'll go oh. back to 1992 to talk the Premier League's inaugural season. It's a great show, that. It's a fantastic show. It's like an NFL film special with Franco Harris breathing out of his nose in like a, a, a cold-weather cape on the sidelines as the Pittsburgh Steelers march down the field. An MIB merch, quick word, we've now got baby onesies designed by the great Jake Wagner. You can dress your baby up in Baldwin onesies. My favourite is the English beef onesie, baby tattoos, they should become a real thing, all available at MIB.com. Brilliant. Okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to send our condolences to Miguel Britos' family after Mo Salah ended him on the way to his first of four <laughs> goals. What a shot that was in Liverpool's 5-0 romp of Watford. We go all Dr. Leo Marvin on the Jose Mourinho rants that bookended Manchester United's 2-0 FA Cup win over Brighton. Plus, Atlanta United's Joseph Martinez notching yet another hat-trick. And NWSL is back. Okay, to the football, Rog. Oh, to the football, Dave. And I want to raise this beer to March Madness. Because mm. it was watching March Madness this past week, Dave, that I realised, after watching Swansea really phone in defeat in the FA Cup quarterfinals without really caring, because they care only about the relegation battle, I realised I would prefer the FA Cup if it happened over the course of an entire month. Let's say they suspended league play in January. Yeah. You know, a way to ease back in after the, the much-talked-about Christmas break that's coming. And then you had all the teams play out all the tournament and only the tournament over the course of a month. How great would that be? It would be great. I feel like it would lead to an even longer season somehow. But I like the idea in principle, doing it like the NCAA tournament. I think you would regain the magic of the FA Cup. But we need Kentucky in the FA Cup because, my God, watching them, Rog, oh. Amazing stuff. Everton would be the Loyola Chicago of football. Sweet sister Jean. She's definitely a blue. I also quickly want to toast this weekend as possibly Arsenal's happiest of the season. <laughs> Courage. <laughs>
Okay, Roger, let's go right in. We begin with all the Premier League action. First up, Liverpool 5, Watford 0. Four goals and an assist from a candle of footballing joy. A goal-scoring droid who never stops. Beep, ba, boop, ba, boop. Mo Salah, the Egyptian, went bonkers, even by his lofty standards, scoring in the fourth minute and basically not stopping until the 85th. He also dropped the dime on Bobby Chomper's goal. <laughs> Liverpool third, Rod, two points behind Man United, who do have a game in hand. Oh, let's be honest, it was about as much suspense about the ultimate result of this game as there was about the Russian election and Putin's chances. But despite that, it was still such a glorious feast for the senses. Just Liverpool shaking off the backsplash of the Manchester United defeat by unfurling footballing majesty, footballing poetry. They ran rampant. Uh, I mean, this was each goal in this one. Each goal, Davo, just seemed to learn and improve upon the beauty of the one that came before it in terms of imagination, cheek, beauty. <sighs> you, you say it was inevitable. And I read a lot of people on Twitter talking about the inevitability of anybody who didn't back Liverpool in this game. They were crazy. They're going to regret it. Going into it, I thought Watford might give them a game. Watford are not a bad footballing team, Rog. They're really not bad. And I'm not sure that they surrendered in this game. You're just right. Liverpool played absolutely beautiful football. And all I ever think when I watch Liverpool play like this is, how are they not contending for the title? Oh, can we just take our hats off and say, Mo Salah, you are a remarkable human being. I mean, this was this was and one mixtape soccer. It was, it was what it would look like if the professor and hot sauce had a bastard offspring or if Skip to Malou just had grown up playing pickup football on the streets of Cairo instead of Jamaica, Queens. I lost count of the number of times that he broke poor Miguel Brito's ankles. I mean, every time you watch, he seemed to fall faster than Facebook share price. Here's what I want to ask you. Mo Salah, such an astonishing, balletic athlete. I mean, in seven months, he's found the back of the net 36 times. Who have you seen? in soccer or in any other sport, any other sport, who gives you the thrill watching him that Mo Salah's provided us this season? In my history of watching sport. Yeah, any sport. It doesn't have to be soccer. Well, Messi, without a doubt. Every time he plays football, I find it electric. Roger Federer, every time he steps on a tennis court. Michael Jordan in his prime. Mm. His first prime and his second prime. That good, that good. Up. Yeah. yeah, no, he's amazing. You watched that guy play live and it gave you a thrill. I've got to tell you, just in terms of my own teams I've supported, Anthony Hardaway's rookie season, that was, like, phenomenal. Yeah, Salah, Salah-esque, many Magic fans say. Yeah, yeah a little taller. And, a little taller. and Little Mo was also fantastic. Little yeah. Mo! Alan Knott, former England wicketkeeper and number seven batsman. He had the same chirpy chappiness. No one on this, no one who listened to this pod will know who Alan Knott was, but he had the same always smile that Mo Salah brings to the game, win or lose. I watched the Michelle Wolf comedy special and it gave me the feelings that, that I get from watching Mo Salah. But in sports, for me, it was like watching early Alan Iverson in his first seasons with the 76ers when he just like, oh, just duke an entire team out of opponents out of their sneakers and then charged to TGI Fridays to celebrate. And then the other athlete who I've watched who gives me that same thrill, and I've only watched him in NFL films and on YouTube, I never had the honour of watching him live, was Gail Sayers, just Chicago ah. Bear great, breaking the line, making safeties and corners miss. But the thing I admire most about Mo Salah is that despite his eye-popping goal total, 
He just seems to derive so much pleasure from helping his teammates to score still. I mean, Harry Kane, he operates under shoot on sight the second he receives the ball, which is what he does. That's not a negative. But Salah's so nuanced. He's a lover and a fighter. Oh, by the way, while we're crediting people, I want to say Robertson. Wow. That second Andy Robertson pass, one of my favourite non-Kevin De Bruyne passes of the season. Can we pay tribute to him? $14 million from Hull. Pound for pound, one of the best purchases of the season, no doubt. Everything about him is subtle and innocuous, but so mm. unbelievably tenacious and effective. I mean, Liverpool fans, they are some of the most creative chanters of the, in the world. You know, the, every Mo Salah song, if he's good enough for you, he's good enough for me. If he scores another few, then I'll be Muslim too. The one that Mo Salah likes most, apparently. But when it comes to Andy Robertson, even his chant's boring. <laughs> Andy, 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 Andy Robertson. Oh, Andy, Andy. I bet you that man wears James Milner cologne, David. Yeah, they're going to have to work on another one. That's a challenge for Liverpool fans. Oh, we've got to pay tribute to the hat-trick goal for Mo Salah. Yeah, it's like they sent every single player towards him that they had. He was cut off at almost every angle. Every single taxpayer in the greater town of Watford, I think, yeah. was trying to defend that goal. I mean, he made them all miss. How does he do it? How does he do it? Because the defending, it was like mine on EA Sports FIFA when I just play a much better player online and, and, and I just dive, dive, dive in when I'm about 8-0 down. How does he do it, David? I don't know how he does it, Rog. I don't know. He has, he has amazing speed of movement, but he also has amazing speed of thought. I think the only way you can possibly play Mo Salah, and this is, I'm being ridiculous, of course, is you just cannot let him receive the ball. You just, he just can't get the ball. That should be, or if he gets the ball, it's got to be in his own penalty area. And even then, it's going to be dangerous. That, you just can't let him touch it. That goal was, honestly, less like watching a game of football. It's more like watching one of those Japanese game shows where they have 500 tiny kids playing against like Messi and Neymar, two against 500. Watford, if you're listening, something for you to aspire to, to play as well as 500 tiny Japanese children. But that fourth goal was actually... Arguably even better. He did something even more impressive in his own way. He got Danny Ings an assist. Yeah. Oh, but we got a question from a GFOP, Davey, from Zane Murphy in Seattle, which will be our Raven for the week. Rog and Davey, just finished watching Mo Salah. I can't ever remember enjoying a player not on Tottenham. He must be a Tottenham fan this much. If Spurs and Liverpool were on at the same time, I'd be flipping back and forwards just to watch Mo. Do you remember a player not on your team who seems so universally loved or was this fun to watch? And am I cheating on Spurs for enjoying Salah so much? No, I think there have been Premier League players who have been this electric in history. I think Shearer, when we go back, we watched, you know, talking about our 1992 film, I thought Shearer was electric. I watched him at every opportunity. Um, Personally, I felt that way about Beckham. I know lots of people don't. Just watching, you know, that guy in his prime uh, before he got older, that right foot, every time he stepped up to take a free kick, it was magical. Chelsea, believe it or not, have had a player who was universally loved once, Rog, Gianfranco Zola. I think a lot of players used to watch him and find him electric. Thierry Henry at Arsenal. But these are, these are special people. They don't come around every season. They come around every few seasons. And it doesn't last always for years you know sometimes it, it's one or two seasons of absolute magic when it's all fantastic and I think there is a danger that Mo Salah you know will be taken away from the Premier League or potentially fouled out of the Premier League right now nobody seemed to be able to catch him to even foul him but I worry that that's going to happen to him I actually believe to be candid Zane answering your question seriously Mo Salah may be best appreciated by neutrals at the moment 
because we can mm. watch with wonder as he kind of hands out wedgies and tail whips with that cherubic smile. What we don't have is the nagging fear that he's going to leave us at the end of the season, which is ramping up in Greater Liverpool. It's the same experience I had last season with Romelu and the English media already starting to drop the headlines. Liverpool won't sell Mo Salah, even if Real Madrid come calling. Uh, and I've spoken to a lot of Liverpool fans over the weekend and a lot of them are like, yeah, maybe Mo, maybe Mo, just a few less goals. Like, did we really need four against Watford? One or two would have done the trick, right? 20 goals a season's fine. 36, too many. And they almost want him to excel without putting his head on the Real Madrid radar. Mm. Uh, and here's the reality for Liverpool. Thinking long-term over the past decade, I admire so much what Klopp's building this season. I really do. Uh, and, and Liverpool's games, to Zane's point, they are must-watch. But in a league that's ruled by oil and oligarch money, Liverpool have always needed an outlier performer to overachieve to try and trump the economic gulf. A Torres, a Fernando Torres at his pump. A Suarez. Yeah. Then a Suarez. And now a Salah. And the problem is, the modern football food chain in which Stoke are just an old Liverpool and Liverpool are just a new Southampton and Barcelona are just a remade Liverpool, it means that the relationship, the ecstatic relationship between Liverpool and Suarez, Torres, and, and I hope I'm wrong here, but with Salah, is always going to be kind of just an amazing fling rather than lifelong. Good news, though. Salah is ethereal. Liverpool fans can dream with him in the side and they want to believe he makes everything feel possible even victory over Manchester City in this most scintillating of Champions League quarterfinals that we've been handed every Liverpool fan I met this weekend because of Mo Bobby Chompers and Mane they're like oh bring it on at the other end of the table Huddersfield nil Crystal Palace too what a game corner scraps from the devastatingly handsome James Tompkins and the Luka Milivojevic penalty deliver Palace their first win in eight league games. They move into 16th place, Rods, two points from the drop. Dower game. I thought it was a fantastic game. Yeah, it was uglier than the Jim Carrey painting, but you loved it. I loved it. It was real football. Palace came, they came at Huddersfield from the off, Rog. It was like snowing. It wasn't as bad as it was in Stoke where you were, but it was like terrible weather. Gloves on, gloves off, Zaha's back. I thought it was great football. Both teams set out to try and kill each other, kind of neutralised each other in the middle of the park. A really, really hard-fought Premier League relegation scrap. I love it, Rog. Tell you what I love, David. A clearly rejuvenated Wilfred Zaha. To that commentator team, it was like when Davidson played March Madness and all they did the whole game was, did you know Steph Curry used to play for the Wildcats? But for Palace this season, I mean, they just mention him every single second. He actually deserves it. He is everything. I can only think of like Riyad Mahrez when you think about best player outside of the big six this season. The amazing statistic is Palace have a win percentage of 32% in games when he takes the field. And without him, nine games, they have zero losses. I was trying to think about who is everything like that. And the only analogy I can think of is... Wilfred Zaha is to Crystal Palace what JW is to the pod. Yeah, no, he was amazing in this game, but also Benteke seems to come back from the dead, Rog. He was actually competing for aerial balls, trying to hold on to the ball. Which it was a mistake. hasn't done his last few performances. Uh, I think Van Arnholt uh, played very, very well. And that new young right-back, Rog, that kid, Wan-Bissaka, he played fantastically. Roy who is a laughingstock in many quarters. I feel so good for him. I mean, they're not home safe yet, but this was a huge 
you know, make no mistake, this was a massive win against a relegation rival on the road. And you feel like with their fixture list uh, coming in, they've got some momentum now. Uh, Bournemouth 2, West Brom 1 for the second straight week. The Baggies tinkle all over the bed after taking a one-goal lead. <laughs> Dave Rodriguez's 49th-minute strike was cancelled out by Jordan Ibe and Junior Stanislas goals. Those are both English players with foreign-sounding names in the last 13 minutes. Bournemouth go 10th. West Brom, meanwhile, are dead last. 10 points from safety with only seven games to play. Oh, West Brom. I was trying to think of things that are worse than Cambridge Analytics. and yeah. Only West Brom came to mind right now. Stoke City 1, Everton 2, Rog, the game you spoke about earlier, the game you were at, Rog, two joints from Cenk Tosun give Everton all three points at lowly Stoke. The Turkish delight put them ahead on 69 minutes. I like Cenk Tosun so much more than I like Turkish delight, Rog, only to have all five names, Jean, Eric, Maxim, Chupo, Moting, level <laughs> things up in the 77th minute. But six minutes from time, the square-headed Tosun notched his fourth goal in three games to win it for the Toffees. We talked about this game quite a lot at the top of the show, but from a footballing perspective, it was freezing. I still have got hypothermia. My seven-year-old is is slowly managing to feel his fingers. Um, but that cliche about Stoke that most of you know, Andy Gray, the British pundit, once said that if Messi was good, he'd have to prove it because he thinks he'd, quote, struggle on a cold night at Stoke. I would have loved the cold, wet night. I would have done a long for a cold, wet night. It was so bloody freezing. And we went all that way, knowing that Everton never win on the road. They'd won once this season before this game. The players, Davo, Everton's players had a meeting. They talked about this to the press. We had a meeting with a psychologist to put, quote, deep away game fear behind them. Wow, deep away game fear. I imagine the psychologist simply just had to say, lads, just don't listen to a word your manager says. It's hardly a <laughs> TED talk, is it? <laughs> it's a pie talk. Oh, Everton were poor. Thank God for Charlie Adam. God, yeah. What was it with Charlie Adam and red cards? Do you understand? Because it's almost like he just assaults all those around him as if his managers told him tactically, all right, I, I want to make sure you, uh, you make us go down to 10 men. What, is, what goes on in his head? In mitigation, I would like to say it was on Wayne Rooney, <laughs> which usually referees take into account before going for the straight red. But I don't know. He, he, he's an extraordinary man, Charlie Adam. A football player not without skill. He does have some skill. He's got an amazing uh, left foot on him. He also has considerable girth. He's large. As you know, force equals mass times acceleration. He can hardly pull out of a tackle once he's committed, Rog. He's, uh, he's Begbie from train spotting in cleats. He really is. He's, he is the kind of guy that would fling a pint glass over the top of the stairs in the pub and then go, right, who wants some? Oh, thank God even more, though. Tosin Pasha. King Tosin, he's fantastic. He reminds me, I'm trying to think he reminds me of, because his goals are often crap. It's like, do you remember the German finisher, Gerd Muller? Great player, awful nickname. They called him Das Bomber, or Der Bomber, was yeah. it? They, they'd bounce in off his head, off his foot, off his shin. It wasn't always pretty, but they keep going in. And if Jank Tosin is supplied, he's going to score. And the challenge of Everton is to supply, to create, they have so much pace on this team. You've got Theo Walcott on one flank. You've got erratic yet electric Yannick Bellassi on the other. And I will say, despite that, to play such slow pedestrian football for so long in games with those two in the team, you actually have to try incredibly hard to do that. We are, from a self-harming perspective, Everton are a masterpiece. Well, Everton have had so little pace all season until you know the last 10 games, Rog, where they've sort of unlocked the wingers. Leighton Baines and Seamus Coleman returning. It's like old times. Stoke City, Arsenal and Tottenham 
are up next. In fact, three of your next seven games are against top six and another is against Burnley. So with a gap of three points in goal difference between Stoke and safety, it may, after a decade in the Premier League, be farewell to Stoke Aluna. Now on to the FA Cup quarterfinals. Man United 2, Brighton 0. Romelu Lukaku, your boy, and Nemanja Matic, my boy, goals on both sides at halftime. Move United into the semi-finals, but the win isn't enough to put the lid on the tension boiling over at Old Trafford in the wake of their Champions League exit at home against Sevilla last week. Come for the meh football. Stick around for the wheels within wheels that are just clattering through Jose Mourinho's mind right now, Dave. We have got to start with that 12-minute midweek breakdown the ad because I know that you are the great Mourinhoologist. The press conference before this game, after United had been humiliated at home in the Champions League by Sevilla, and he said... There's something that I call football heritage. The last time Manchester United won the Champions League, which didn't happen a lot of times, was in 2008. This is football heritage. And if you want to go to the Premier League, the last victory was 2013. And in four consecutive seasons, you finished seventh, fourth, fifth and sixth Manchester United. Davo, what is football heritage? What is he talking about? What is he doing? By the way, this is similar to him positioning himself at the head of the tunnel before somebody comes out. To some extent, I respect what he did. He went in with a plan. He's trying to create the narrative that if he finishes second or third in the Premier League this season, that is a win for Man United. It's improvement based on where they've been. Man United fans, they compare any manager to the Alex Ferguson era, not the entire era, but to the you know, mid to late Sir Alex Ferguson era. They won't hear about anything else. But obviously, as you've said a lot, with what Pep is doing across town, it's changed the colour. It's really changed the expectation. It's ramped the pressure up. And Jose Mourinho is attempting to control the narrative. It takes chutzpah. It does for a man to edit out all that winning that Manchester United has done. All those trophies, all those titles, all that glory. And he stayed on burn it down mode after the game, despite the win. He said there's a lack of personality, a lack of class, a lack of desire, and that Matic is the only one, an island of personality. No one has ever called Matic. He's many things, but he's not an island of personality. He, <laughs> he, he suggested... By the way, he should have his own talk show. Matic, we could call it. We could put on in daytime. He's like the new Oprah. You get a car, you, you get a pass, you get a pass, you get a pass, you get a pass. Oh, Amazing. It's a great name for a television show. Matic, Matic. and, and uh, Stranded on the Island of Personality. Oh, he suggested, Mourinho, that the problem this season, he's, he's found it, he's worked it out. It's, it's the player's fear of the shirt, or the weight yeah. of the shirt, I guess, as they say in Brazil. Another great Mourinho quote, the basic thing to keep the emotional balance to play with that red shirt. It's a heavy shirt to wear, but to feel not comfortable to play saying, please, mister, take me from the pitch to me. This United team, he's, this is Mourinho speaking, his unite about his own players, about his own team, about his own season, to me, this United team are scared to play. Uh, they, they are scared to play, but it, it's not the shirt that they're afraid of. It's you, Jose. It's you. I know you listen to the pod. They're terrified of the way that you repeatedly publicly humiliate Luke Shaw, as he did in this game, yanked him off at halftime after he'd had an assist. I mean, it's behaviour bordering on bullying, Dave. Mkhitaryan, Pogba, Victor Lindelof. Mourinho, he's either parking the bus or he's throwing his players under it. This can't hold. It's so odd, Rog, because if you think about it, you know, the win against Liverpool, 
Liverpool, who we've just lauded as being one of the great footballing teams in the history of all football, of all sport, they beat Liverpool about a week and a half ago, and we were all lauding them. They've threw to the semi-finals of the FA Cup this week, and yet it's that performance against Sevilla, which is just, and you watch the game, and you can't believe it's the same Man United team. I mean, at their best, Man United, they're pragmatic, Rog, but they're they were so far from pragmatic in that game. It's so odd. Something so weird about this team. And yet, I still think they'll finish second. Which is, I mean, they will finish second. But they will do by playing not to lose rather than to win. And this is what I think uh, ultimately reviewing Jose and his incredible political shenanigans this week. The one thing he's unwilling to understand or, or, or unable to understand, you would probably tell me that Manchester United's fans' main gripe, it's not the losing in big games like the Seville game. It's a negative, pragmatic football in, in which no matter how many stars are added, Pogba, Sanchez, it doesn't matter because whoever comes in just gets inevitably painted in like the grey sludge of Mourinho's tones of football. You say that, but my mates who support Man United love the win against Liverpool. They weren't complaining about that performance and the win against Liverpool. Yes, it wasn't explosive. It wasn't what you know, Liverpool did against Watford in a not meaningless game, but not a massive game. The game against Liverpool was a real football game. And I'm not hearing many people complain about the way they performed. I just can't believe how erratic they are. Every single time they seem to make a little bit of progress, they have these massive setbacks. And I just don't understand the inconsistency. I, I, think, I think the 2-1 against Liverpool was obviously well received. The 0-0 against Liverpool in October, that's one that's more stuck in both the throat and in the memory. And, and the treatment of Pogba which has been a season-long puzzle, which begs the question, what would Pep Guardiola do with Pogba? Don't you think that would make a great reality show, David, like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, Pep Extreme Makeovers? He'd have a catchphrase, but he'd be like, Bulls win, let's bilf it up. Don't you think he would handle Pogba completely differently if he bilfed him up? Yes, looking at Pep this season and how well he's handled all of those various characters, at Man City, I'm sure there have been failures too, but I think he's obviously done amazing jobs with players, including Raheem Sterling. I'm not comparing Raheem Sterling to Pogba, but it's a player who needed some kind of rehabilitation in some ways. And I think Pogba is a challenging character. And Mourinho, through his entire history, has struggled with those kind of large characters, characters who play free-flowing, imaginative football who don't always have that tactical discipline. You think of his run-ins with Joe Cole. You look at the number of players he let go from Chelsea who've turned out to be... Quite you know, bloody good. Quite bloody good, fantastic players. And yet, you do look, and that's why he talks about Matic, the players who not only he does well with, but who respond really well to Mourinho are those workhorse, disciplined, really, really top professionals. These are the players. It's the Lampards. It's the Terrys. It's the Ivanoviches. It's the Matiches. There's a certain sort of Serbian and English hardness about the players who succeed in his systems. Luke Shorich. To me, watching them, I'd be afraid if I was a fan of how little he's developing all of that talent at his disposal. And if I was a board member of Manchester United, which I wish I was because I'd do terrible things, but I'd be annoyed yeah. with what he's doing to like Luke Shaw's value by crapping on his own assets. Irrespective, and Jose Mourinho, I know you're a great friend of the pod. I, I know you're listening. When pragmatism doesn't work, you need to ask yourself, what exactly are you left with? And Davo, you mentioned Liverpool. So last question on this United week. Would you rather be a United fan or a Liverpool fan right now? Great football with no trophies or dour football in second place? You know what I'm going to say. 
And by the way, I don't think you win trophies by playing Dow football. And I don't think it would be fair to say that Man United played Dow football to win the Europa League. I think that we tend to lump it in. Mourinho, Dow football. And I think that's a little unfair to him. At the point that his teams have not been winning, at the point that they've not won trophies, they played very Dow football. When they win trophies, you've got to beat a lot of teams to go and win that. And they play pretty good football. Look, I would rather, of course, it's tough to look at Mo Salah and to not think, oh my God, I'd love to be watching Liverpool play. But I do think, again and again and again, what is the point if you're not going to win trophies? I think Man United have got to win something this year. I don't think that finishing second or third in the Premier League is going to be enough. They've got to win something. And so it's all in the FA Cup. To me, I'd rather be Liverpool because they really are building something special. I mean, it's like watching an amazing magician build it. Unbelievable house of cards. And Mourinho is rebuilding plant. It sounds like it's going to be to spunk more cash on massive name stars. But no matter who comes in, here's what you worry. With Mourinho's tactics, especially in big games, see Seville, all you're going to get is risk mitigation. And I, I will say this, and United fans can clip it next season uh, if I'm completely wrong and throw it back in my face. Old Trafford's never going to warm to Jose Mourinho. Yeah, I know. They all want Louis van Gaal and David Moyes back. I mean, this is, this is the, the reality. Is what, is you compare everything to Pep Guardiola. Not every team can go and win. And yes, you can compare it to Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, but a week and a half ago, I'm not sure that you would have even asked the question about who would you rather be a Liverpool fan or a Man United fan right now, let alone have answered it in the same way. Football is this amazing cycle. Unfortunately, Mourinho always makes it part of the story. He didn't need to do a 12-minute press conference. He would have still come in for a lot of criticism, but I think he could just have looked at the severe game and said, you know what, we had a great win at the weekend. This was just a huge loss. I feel terrible about it. We're a bigger club. We should do better than this, and moved on, and then got through to the uh, semifinals of the FA Cup this weekend against a reasonable Brighton team and, uh, and moved on. And yet he makes this massive story. He puts himself at the center of it again and again and again. He's his worst enemy. I enjoyed him as a Chelsea fan. I enjoyed Jose Mourinho as a manager, and I enjoyed not only the trophies we won, also Chelsea played some scintillating football the years that we won trophies, particularly earlier in his tenure, less so later in his tenure. What you tire of as a fan is this. You tire of these press conferences. You tire, as you mentioned, the calling out of players, what he does for Luke Shaw, his inability to bring through younger players. That's what you tire of. It's that constant story and negativity about Mourinho. It's less about the football he plays as a fan. I'm telling you, it's much more about the negativity he brings on your club. So he just needed a talking points card with the words, I hear you. And that press yeah. conference would have been a whole oh, lot shut better. Up. <laughs> shut up. Don't say anything. Uh, that would have been much better. Okay, now to the team United will face in the semis. Tottenham. They beat Swansea 3-0 at the Liberty Stadium despite being Harry Caneless. A brace from the maestro of middle fart. Christian Eriksen sees Spurs reach the FA Cup semi-finals in consecutive seasons. <sighs> the Harry Kane team meets the Mindy Kaling team. Do you know she's a part owner of Swansea? Didn't know. I think she just found out too. Undone as an event, which we talked about at the top of the pod by Swansea, really not giving a crap, focused on the relegation zone rather than the FA Cup tchotchke that lay in front of them. But for Spurs, pretty confidence-inducing, gave them a sense of what, what a Harry Kaneless future might look like. And it was pretty good. Yeah, no, they're still pretty good. Sun does a pretty good impression of him. The thing about Harry Kane is that he takes so many shots. I think it's one in three shots that Spurs take come off a Harry Kane body part. So there's really no replacing him. They simply did spread the wealth. You, you mentioned Son, so confident. Lamella stepping up and the profile raising week by week for a very modest man who seems to hate the spotlight. 
Christian Eriksen scored his seventh and eighth goals against Swansea in 10 games. He really hates Welsh people. Spurs on their way to Wembley, which empowered their fans to chant ironic delight at reaching Wembley, where the FA Cup semi-finals played, which is normally an honour, but for them, it's just their temporary home. Wigan nil, Southampton two. The League One Latic Cinderella run in the FA Cup comes to an end against New Saints manager Marky Mark Hughes. Goals from Pierre-Emile Hoibar and Cedric Suarez return Southampton to the FA Cup semi-finals for the first time in 15 years. Welcome back, old friend, Sparky Hughes. We never talked about you when you were at Stoke, so we're not going to start now. He won this battle, but a real war lies ahead. Southampton, two points from safety in 18th spot, eight games remaining. Hughes actually was a... Do you remember him? He had two years at Southampton as a player. Yeah. But he seems like a a real deviation from the Saints' kind of modern era manager. They look for someone with an emphasis on youth and tactical prowess. And Mark Hughes isn't even a relegation firefighter. The the Mark Hughes bounce, and there is one, but it's a very, very slow build. And I'll say Godspeed. His team face Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester, Everton, and Manchester City in five of the last eight games. That is an uphill climb. Okay, the team, the Saints, will face in the semis. Chelsea Football Club, uh, they beat Leicester 2-1 in extra time Sunday at the King Power. Goals from Spanish Jamie Vardy, Alvaro Morata at last, Rog, and English Jamie Vardy, Jamie Vardy, left the game knotted at one when in the 105th minute, tiny little Pedro rose up, Rog, and headed home the winner, Alleluia, football's equivalent of Spud Webb dunking. Oh, mate, Conte, pre-game. He said, an FA Cup win will not save me. I mean, rarely has a man wanted to be fired more. He's in true McMaster territory. How do you understand it? There's a great writer in England, Daniel Story, who I love, and he's kind of tried to explain this odd disintegration at Stamford Bridge that we've watched. He calls it Antonio Conte's can't-do attitude. I actually respect what Antonio Conte is doing. I think he's approaching his job with real professionalism. I think despite the spanking by Barcelona, I think Chelsea actually acquitted themselves fairly well in that fixture, home and away, for sort of where they have been this season. And they're continuing to find a way to grind out victories, compete for the top four, you know, go into the semifinals of the FA Cup, grind out victories. So I'm sort of impressed with the professionalism. And I think actually in the face of, obviously, a very, very difficult working environment and conditions for him with the way he's been treated by the Chelsea board, I say that with air quotes and, you know, with... (laughs) A dripping sarcasm <laughs> irony coming out of my uh, voice. I think he's done a very good job and I respect what he's doing. This was a close run one in the end. Chelsea, dominant from the off. Willian, oh, acceleration and control of a wonder. We, th- we do still think of Chelsea as Aidan Hazard's mob. But the last third of the season, it's been the Brazilian bailing them out over and over. He just brilliantly set up Morata, clean in on goal. A man who's not scored in 14 games. As your beautiful-looking Spaniard, Davo, trundled in, did, did, you, did your spidey senses, did your footballing brain, did your anticipation, did it just say, don't get excited? I stood up from my sofa, Roger, and I was like, <laughs> come on, Alvaro! <laughs> and it was a pretty tasty finish in the end. Fantastic. Um, fantastic finish into the side netting, and you could see the relief for him uh, scoring that goal. But Leicester came back 
Yeah, I mean, which is odd about Chelsea. So long a physically and mentally tenacious team this year, they can't hold on to a lead. And Leicester in that second half, that field, the FA Cup, they're back to their psychedelic, kaleidoscopic grass patterns that the Premier League have outlawed. They play football. It was a throwback to the fairy tale days a little bit, that second half. Vardy, Mares, Dogs of War, unchanged. Big relief when Pedro grabbed your winner like the tiniest salmon leaping out of a stream. But this stat, Chelsea players since 13th of January 2018, a stat that's doing the rounds. Pedro, one goal. Eden Hazard, three goals. Willian, five goals. Alvaro Morata, five yellow cards, one red. And now this one goal. And then with eight goals, your top goal scorer, Mishi Batshuayi, kind of captures the oddly feckless, eerie decision-making that is 2018 Chelsea. Although, to be fair, Bats sort of had a chance at Chelsea and he wasn't particularly good and he's doing it at Dortmund and we've seen lots of players do very well in the German league and not do very well when they've come back into the Premier League. I'm not that Batshuayi, he needed to play, he needed to go and do it. I'm not sure that Batshuayi would have got a lot of chances playing for Chelsea. I don't mean chances to play. I don't think he would have had a lot of opportunities like he's getting the service he's getting at Dortmund. Chelsea don't get the ball into the box. They play on the edge of the box a lot more. They just don't put the ball into the middle very much, which they did do much more. Remember all those passes from Dave to Morata? They don't really happen anymore. You just don't see them play that kind of football. And an FA Cup win, Dave, a man who likes to win things, how much of the thickening would that give you? He'd rather win it than lose it. But we've won that a lot, Rog. We've won the FA Cup a lot. And you always want to win things. We lost in the final last year to Arsenal and it hurt, but mostly because it was against Arsenal. You know, losing this against Tottenham would also be, would be really annoying. But it's not... I think it would be good, nice for Conte to go out with a win. More than anything, it would be nice for Conte to go out with a win. Okay, Rog, in MLS. NYCFC stay undefeated and top of the Eastern Conference after seeing off Orlando 2-0 at home. Trailing them in the still undefeated Columbus, who drew 0-0 with the Union. And in third, after winning their second game on the spin, 4-1 over the Whitecaps, Atlanta United, who got another (sighs) Joseph Martinez hat-trick. 23 goals in 23 games. Who do you think you are, Joseph Martinez? Venezuelan Mo Salah, mate. I mean, a tremendous statistic from the great friend of the pod, journalist at Doug Roberson AJC, tweeted, Martinez, one hat-trick away from tying the all-time MLS record of five hat-tricks held by Landon Donovan, Stern John and Diego Serna. The only difference being, Joseph Martinez has only played 23 games. Uh, in NWSL news, Rog, the league kicks off its sixth season this weekend with four games, including the Utah Royals FC debut at Orlando at 7.30pm Eastern time on Saturday. Couldn't be more excited to see a lot of things, Dave. Debut, as you mentioned, of the Utah Royals with that stacked roster, including GFOP's Kelly O'Hara and Becky Sauerbrun. The North Carolina Courage, the greatest name team in pro sports, doing battle, having added... Crystal Dunn from your Chelsea. And perhaps above all, Sam Kerr, who I admire so greatly as a player at the Chicago Red Stars. With the Women's World Cup looming, Godspeed to NWSL and all loose sail in it. It all begins 3.30pm Eastern Time Saturday with last year's defending champions, the Portland Thorns, taking on last year's Shield winners, the North Carolina Courage. That game is on Lifetime Network. Be sure to check it out. Big news this week. Canada, Mexico and the US, three friends in football, deliver the United bid book to FIFA in Zurich last Friday. 
Lots of talk about the American cities who won't be in that bid book, Chicago, Minneapolis, Vancouver, because of FIFA's lunatical requests that include potentially huge taxpayer bills and exposure to the cities and the residents, that's you and me and most of our listeners, to immense financial and legal risks. But I've got to say, Davo, I'm facing the World Cup bid with a little bit of fear. US World Cup 2026 felt like a slam dunk this time last year. A little bit, a little bit frightened. It's FIFA, Rog. I mean, the first question is, how much cash was in the bid book? Uh, it's, a, it's a corrupt process. It makes no sense. Honestly, it could end up being awarded to, you know, the Azores Islands. Uh, who the hell knows what the decision-making process will be? On the merits, you've got to think that the World Cup should go to the NAFTA territories. But this decision will not be made on the merits. By the way, the FIFA execs who listen to this podcast are just casually Googling Azores Islands, as you mentioned yep. them. But here's how I think about it. Morocco, it's got no, no preparations done. Not at all. That's possibly a negative, but I don't mm. think it is, to be candid. But it's got all the African votes. It's got many of the European ones because it's so close geographically. We've got CONCACAF. Yay! We've got Oceana. Yay! We've probably got the South American votes, but you can never be sure. And that just leaves Asia as the swing vote, which, as you've kind of hinted, is a complete and utter total crapshoot. And the US, you know that they're suddenly playing down the Sunil Galati angle. They're playing down the US-only optics. They're playing up the joint bid. This is not just America. Of course, our Mexico. And it's three of us together. Canada, hooray! Which is a reaction partly to the decreased global allure that America kind of brings uh, in this current reality. Though, to be honest, after giving the World Cup to Putin... Then Qatar, FIFA actually seems drawn to chaos. I think we should play it up. <laughs> yeah, but, that's very true. But here's how I fear. We're just as effed up as they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. It, it, <laughs> here's what I really fear. Two things. The US keeps boasting, and it did last bid and it failed, and they've not learned. We keep saying, we're ready to host the World Cup now. We've got NFL state-of-the-art stadia. Look at our jumbotrons. They're all ready to go. FIFA loves kickbacks. They love kickbacks. And headlines like the one in the papers yesterday, Morocco plans to spend $15.8 billion if it gets the World Cup. That's what gives your average FIFA voter a hard-on. Tiny little corrupt hard-on, but still a hard-on. And most of all, what makes me crap it is this, Dave. The host country. Do you know, do you know where, the revel- where, where the ceremony, where they announce the winner is going to be? Where, Rod? In Moscow. Do you know <laughs> who's going to be at the big reveal? Who's going to be hosting the big reveal? Oh, don't tell me it's Putin. It's Vladimir Putin. The Jeff, he's going to be the Jeff props to the ceremony, Dave. If I were a betting man, and I don't mean to be cynical, but I would put money, the fact that 2026 World Cup, it is going to be shared by three countries. That's the good news. But the bad news, it's going to be Abhaziah, South Ossetia, and Crimea. Yeah, it <laughs> could happen. <laughs> okay, speaking of the international game, your international break weekend looks like this. It starts Friday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, Friday night with Mexico taking on Iceland at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Then Tuesday, the U.S. men's national team takes on Paraguay at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And Mexico will have gone down to Arlington, Texas to take on Croatia. That's not a sentence you read every day. That game kicks off at 10 p.m. Eastern time Tuesday. All those games on Fox Sports 1. There are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers board mark. But good news, Rog, 
Amazon shut down the store, but the affiliate program is still alive and well. We were just too crap to realize it. We somehow missed the memo on that, but we're back. Anytime you buy something big or small from the bald mark, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the bald mark this week, Roger? A book. An amazing book. All the pieces matter. The inside story of The Wire by Jonathan Abrams. We love The Wire on this show. We really do. In fact, this show is kind of quasi-sponsored by GFOP David Simon. And this book, it's an oral history of the single greatest television show ever of all time, apart from anything that has the two Robbies on it. So Abrams looks at how the narrative of the show was crafted. He conducts a sprawling series of interviews with the whole cast and crew, everyone from David Simon down to the researchers and people who constructed the set. And it avoids all the kind of like the cliche gossipy pitfalls that can often lay siege to this type of tome. It drills down single-mindedly on the mission that the writers, the actors, the directors, the crew all felt they were on and the often exhausting but truly fascinating process that they endured to create it. And it is about creating. I I can't recommend it enough, this book, not just to Wire fans, but to all on a mission to create something greater than themselves, like Christian Eriksen. Uh, Rog, I don't shave often, but when I do, I like to use the Gillette Mach 3 sensitive disposable jettable razor. Uh, This, once again, is not a product placement. I'm not paid by Gillette for this. But these disposable razors are so good. I think Gillette might have made a mistake because they're disposable and yet they last forever. So you never need to buy a more expensive razor. You just use these disposable ones, but they literally last for about three years each. I finally bought some three years ago, and I finally bought another pack of four. These will last me another three years. The Gillette Mach 3 sensitive, disposable, jettable razor for your occasional shaving needs. How often do you shave, David? Well, I shave every day. I shave a little bit above my cheekbone and a little bit below my neck. So I do shave there every single day. I'm terrible at many things. I would say shaving is bottom three of things Roger's able to do. Terrible, terrible, terrible shaver. So I'm going to get one of those. Yeah, do it. The Gillette Mac 3 sensitive disposable jettable razor. Okay, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davies, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex my tombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria! Balls lose. It's a tweed. Apagado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. And I love taking my son and my dad to the game. Aww.